15 years ago, 2001, September the 11th, two hijacked aircraft crashed into the World Trade Center in New York City while a third smashes into the Pentagon in Arlington County, Virginia, and a fourth into a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania in a series of coordinated suicide attacks by 19 members of the terrorist group Al-Qaeda. In short, 2,996 people are killed. That day, our nation was devastated. The American people were devastated. Many who didn't even live in New York City at the time, some nationally, some internationally, were affected by the attack because the World Trade Center was the occupational home to many people, some who lived all across the world with family all across the world. And I remember that day when it happened. I was asleep. I, uh, I worked uh, the evening shift at a local video store, and, and I was usually up late closing the store out as the uh, shift manager. And so um, I was asleep, and my friend who had just enlisted into the Navy, he calls me, and I answer the phone, and I'm like half dead awake. And, and he, uh, he's like kind of screaming on the phone. He's like, they got us, man, they got us. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You get TP'd or something? I mean, what, what's, what's going on? And it's like, no, turn on the news, turn on the news. We've been attacked. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I go downstairs and turn on the TV, and lo and behold, on every channel everywhere are the events that we just saw in the video. And I just remember, you know, still having to go to work that day, and, and I couldn't peel myself away from the radio and when we got to work, there was nobody else there other than myself and one other person, and we had the radio on, and we just kind of sat on the counter and uh, listened to what happened. And I'm sure most of you or many of you can remember where you were and what was going on the day our country was attacked. It was a dark day for our country. But there were some shining stars that rose for the occasion, our first responders and even later our military personnel in the coming wars would stand proud as they defended America with their efforts to secure our nation. And I'd like to take just a minute. I know uh, Jason stepped out. Kevin, will you grab Jason for just a moment? I'd like to take a moment and recognize all of our military personnel. If you served at any capacity, whether you just peeled potatoes or you're on the front lines, um, and uh, any of our first responders, our police, the fire, paramedics, anyone at all, if you currently or have at any capacity served our people at that time, would you just please stand for us in this place today? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Give them a round of applause. Thank you so very much. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your sacrifice, daily sacrifices that we take for granted each and every day. Most of us will not know the, uh, the lengths at which you serve us and uh, when we don't even realize it. Our police are serving us while we sleep safely in our beds and they're being hunted down and attacked by people who uh, have anger and bitterness against them and so we need to be appreciative of our service men and women each and every day. Uh, not only was 9-11 a brutal attack on a city in our nation with much loss of life, but it left the nation devastated. It left us feeling devastated and almost hopeless. You, you could talk to anybody and there's kind of this feeling of uh, loss. And not only was there a kind of a, 
a loss to our, our souls, to our hearts, but there was a devastation to our economy that began to unfold that we're even feeling the effects of today, 15 years later. And we could look at the politics and we could look at different events that have happened in our nation. And, and regardless of how imperfect our country is, our many failures as a nation from our inception till now, deep within inside the people of America is the hope that things can and will get better. Every time we place our hand over our hearts and say the Pledge of Allegiance, and every time we stand and sing the national anthem, we reaffirm our belief that if we work together as one nation under God, we can accomplish anything. And this is where we find ourselves in our world today. Now, we're in our study of Matthew, we call this Confessions of a Sinner. We're entering the last chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bible, you can join with us there, or the verses will also be on the screen. And here we've come to a place where the disciples were feeling a similar way to America felt the day the towers fell. Their Lord, their Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, had just been killed, crucified, nailed to a cross. They watched them as they buried his body. But the story of Jesus is not the same as the story of America. See, three days later, something happened. The stone was rolled away. The angel proclaimed, he is not here. He is risen. Jesus comes back from the dead. And because of that one instant, that one fact, we all can have new life and freedom, true freedom, through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so in the story, Matthew chapter 28, we've come to this place where Jesus uh, had come through the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's already appeared to his followers. He appeared to the women in the garden and told them to go tell the other disciples. And while this kind of uproar about the exciting moment of the resurrection has happened, it's starting to filter out through the city about what Jesus has done, the religious leaders of that day catch wind of it. And they decide that they're going to come up with a scheme to, cr- to kind of you know, squash this rumor, so to speak, that Jesus actually came back. And so they meet with the soldiers that were there at the, the tomb, and they bribe the soldiers to, to lie. And they say, if, if you lie, we'll support you, and we'll, we'll back you up. But we need you to lie and say, he didn't rise, his body was stolen. And so they begin to spread this rumor to kind of uh, come against the uh, the momentum of the message of the gospel of the risen Lord was happening ha- or having an effect through the city. And their lie, their rumor, also begins to have an effect. Their scheme is underway. And, and I know that anytime there's a move of God, there's going to be opposition. There will always be opposition in your life if you are trying to follow Jesus Christ and place your faith in him. And sometimes the enemy, he gets one by. He sneaks one in that catches us off guard and it can affect our faith. And it was affecting the people in the land. So much so that at the close of Matthew, just before Jesus ascends to heaven and goes to be with the Father, the scripture records this, Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, They worshipped him, right? That would be the natural response. He's risen from the dead. We're going to worship this guy because he must be God, right? That's what we would think to do. But look at the very next phrase. It says what? But some of them, what is it? Doubted. 
I got to be honest, this verse has messed with me all week long. All week long. They saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Let that sink in for a moment. See, the thing that gets me about that is think about everything they've seen from the birth to now the resurrection. Everything they've seen Jesus do and everything Jesus has done through them. Think, think about that. There's a story in the, in the Gospels that says Jesus gave his disciples authority to go to every town to heal every disease and cast out evil spirits. So these guys not only saw Jesus do some crazy stuff, but through Jesus they also did some amazing and crazy stuff. And hereafter they saw Jesus die and are seeing him face to face, risen from the dead, everything they've been through together, everything that God has done through Jesus and done through them, some still doubted. Like, for serious? Seriously? I mean, there's got to be some type of emoji happening right here. Like, you know, you know I, just, I just can't wrap my mind around it. And the first thing I see, just in one simple verse, the first thing I see here is though doubt is common. We all have doubts. We, we all doubt at one time or another about different things. But though doubt is common, what I notice here is that doubt is a choice. Being skeptical, being doubtful or doubt-filled is a choice. Think about it. They all had the same experiences. They all had the same information. They were all seeing the very same things, but yet they had different responses. See, if everything is the same, but the outcome is different, then that leads me to believe that doubt is a matter of choice. Choice about what you're going to believe. And the second thing I see here in one simple verse is that a doubt can wreck your worship can wreck your worship. Think about it. Jesus appears and these men begin to sing, to praise, to glorify the Lord, and yet these men doubted. And what you have to think about here is it says some doubted. Either they faked their worship and just went along with it so they didn't look like the weirdo in the group, or they didn't worship at all. You know, they were the ones that, if we were to kind of picture this in our day-to-day, -day, they're the Christians that sit on the back row with their arms folded during the worship service, acting like, oh, I just want to go to lunch, let's go, come on. You know what I'm saying? You've seen those people? They don't engage in what's going on. They don't engage in the worship experience. They don't open their hearts to what God has for them today. They just come. They try to stay as far back from the events as possible, and then they're out of here. They don't engage. So either they had to fake their worship or maybe they didn't worship at all. And think about those that faked their worship, if they did so. Scripture's not specific, but I can see this happening because it happens week after week in churches all around. I mean, haven't you ever felt like that? You come into the church, you're here because you know it's a good thing, but you just feel like, man, I'm not really feeling it today. Or what's the point today? Maybe you had some really nasty things happen to you during the week and you're just not feeling it today and... You just kind of go along with the motions. I felt like that before. 
I mean, when you feel like that, when you feel like, mm, I'm not so sure today, how does that affect your worship experience? How does that affect your outlook? How does that make you feel when you're here gathering with your other believers? How does that make you feel whenever someone comes up to you and says, hey, man, how's it going? Just trying to encourage you for a couple seconds before the service starts. See, sometimes we just go through the motions so no one else really knows what's going on in our hearts. I'm not going to let you know that my marriage almost dissolved on Saturday, so I'm going to walk in on Sunday with a smiley face. I'm not going to let you know that you know, I'm experiencing some pain or I had a moral failure. I'm just going to go on and put that smile on my face. We fake our worship, and we do this with God as well. Think about those that said they were a follower of Jesus, but don't ever worship when they're in his presence. You know, you may have grown up in church, you have a church background, you can quote a bunch of verses of the Bible, but nothing really gets to your heart. And you don't allow your heart to ever really express when you're gathered with his people to honor him in his presence. They say they're a follower of Jesus, but yet they don't worship when they're gathered together in his name. Maybe you're like that today. Maybe you don't let the music stir your soul and move you to the place to display your emotion and let that emotion pour out in your singing and in your praise, even to the point where you allow yourself to sing along. Maybe you, would, you think, you know what? I might try to sing along, but I'm never going to be caught dead raising my hands in service. One, because I don't like wearing deodorant. And two, because that's just weird. Or I'm not going to try to clap along because someone might think that I've got no rhythm. So my hands are going to stay conveniently tucked in my pocket. And don't ever dare me to use the D word. You know what I'm talking about? Dance, right? It'll break dance for Jesus. Don't even ask me to go there, even though the psalm says, dance like a wild man before the Lord. Don't ask me to do that because I'm not there, right? My heart doesn't feel it. I'm uncomfortable with that. You see, worship, it goes beyond the music. It goes beyond the, the time where the band plays in the worship experience. Worship plays out in all aspects of our lives. Your character, your integrity, your work ethic applies to your worship. Your obedience to the word of God applies to your worship. Your willingness to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ and those who are far from God applies to your worship. Being faithful to the ministry you committed to applies to your worship. Faithfully using the gifts that God has given you to build up and strengthen and encourage the church applies to your worship. Striving each day to walk in faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit applies to your worship. Having a Christ-centered life, which means we consider Jesus before we consider ourselves or anything else, applies to your worship. It applies. But the reason why their worship and our worship gets wrecked, oftentimes, primarily falls on one simple little word. That's doubt doubt. You see, if we really believed Jesus was here, think about it. Jesus said, when two or more gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. If we really believed Jesus was here when we gathered for worship, you think our worship services would be a little different? You think our willingness to participate would be a little different? 
If we really believe that when we gathered here together that we could feel, but not only feel, but interact with the presence of God, that we could be delivered from spiritual bondage, that we could be healed from our diseases, that we could be filled with unending joy because he's here, you think that would change how we worship when we gather for worship? I do. I think if you could see Jesus right now in the glory of his presence, his eyes aflamed with fire, and the smoke of his robe that would fill this place, the glorious presence of God, I think we'd all fall flat down on our faces and cry out, oh God, save me, for I am a man of unclean lips. It would change our worship if we really believed what we say we believe. You see, doubt has an effect on our faith, and it has an effect in many ways, but just a few ways I want to talk about today. The first thing is doubt diminishes your deliverance. It diminishes your deliverance. Jesus died to save your soul, but not only to save your soul, but to free you from the power of sin in your life, the power that sin has over you. But if you walk around this world believing you are not free when Christ has set you free, you will feel like and live like a person who is not free. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, this verse leaped off the page this week for me. Paul says to the church of Galatians in the ESV, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free, so stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. See, the, the people of Israel in the time of Christ, these new Christians that had been Jews their whole life, they knew they were free in Christ, but something in them wouldn't release them from the weight that the law had had on them their whole lives. So even though they were freed from the commands and regulations of the law, they found themselves going back to the very same law that they used to follow before, going back to the sacrifices, going back to the traditions, because they couldn't let themselves truly believe that they needed to, not, to sacrifice no more. That Christ's sacrifice was sufficient enough to cover all their sin. And Paul is telling the Galatians here that doubt is a choice. If Christ has set you free, walk in your freedom. Why get tangled back up with the, the bondage that you were in before? And that is the same thing for us. If you struggle with an addiction, you struggle with, with a certain sin, or you've got these mistakes you keep making over and over in your life, the reality is you don't believe you're free from that. So you keep walking back to that instead of walking in your freedoms. Many of us who become followers of Jesus, we still walk around with all the guilt and shame of our past. Man, if you would just know the things that I did, Pastor Joey, you would not even be my friend. Well, man, if you just knew how Jesus set you free from that, you wouldn't even bring up the subject. You're free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Why walk back to the yoke of bondage that you were weighed down before? So that guilt and shame has not only wrecked your confidence in what Christ has done for you, but has wrecked your confidence in who you are. And it leaves you in a constant state of feeling that abandonment could happen at any time. Like God's going to just realize he made a mistake and he's just going to leave me high and dry. So you don't experience the joy of fellowship with God, but you experience the stress of constantly thinking you're failing God. You see, our enemy, we have a real enemy. And he uses those things in your life to keep you depressed, 
to keep you thinking about all the negative to the point that you'll give up trying and go back to your old ways. Because your belief really isn't that you are free. Your belief is that there is still something for you to do to earn your freedom. And I'm here to tell you, Christ has already won your freedom. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, you're saved by his grace, not by works. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, so no one can boast about it. There's nothing you can do to earn your freedom. Christ earned it for you and gave it to you as a gift. And you placed your faith and trust in him. But doubt will wreck your deliverance. That doubt in what Christ has done for you will wreck your ability to hope and believe anything can or will ever change, leaving you trapped in your own prison of negativity. And that's going to affect the decisions you make, especially when you're feeling down on yourself. It'll affect your attitude towards other people and towards the opportunities God brings into your life to bring blessing into your life. Doubt diminishes your deliverance. The second thing doubt does that I want to talk about today is doubt diminishes your desire. I remember many different instances like this one particular situation in my life where it hits home now is I remember when God first called me into the ministry. And many of you know before I was a pastor, I was a worship director, and, and I felt just like this is what God wanted me to do is be in the ministry. But even before I went to work in churches, I felt like God was going to use me to, to play music, to write worship music, to uh, similar to like uh, groups like Hillsong and other worship bands that go around and travel the world leading people in the worship. I thought that that's what God had in store for me. And so I began to chase that dream. And then later God kind of changed the road and redirected and, and led us towards uh, church ministry and, and being the worship leader of a local church in uh, Missouri and then finally up here in Michigan. And I remember every time God kind of redirected, every new opportunity or every new direction he would bring, there would be some excitement that would come up like, oh, okay, this is the next step. So let's get excited. Let's chase after this. And when every time we were presented this new opportunity, we surrendered. And Tony and I, we, we went to work this new uh, vision or new dream or new opportunity God placed in our lives, similar to when we opened and, and launched Vertical Life Church, that there was this desire to sacrifice anything I could sacrifice, to do everything I could possibly do to make that next phase in our life successful. So that we could impact as many people as possible uh, to the fact that since we started this church, we've kind of been a mobile church. And we've had to pack up and unpack the church every week for three years. I've never been a part of a church that's done that. I've always been the guy that just could kind of come in just before band practice, warm up with the band, sing and go home, right? We've, we've had to do that. And I could tell you if I could have a dollar for every time my wife told me about how much junk I'm storing in my basement... I'd be a rich man. You know, but this is one of those things. You sacrifice, you serve, you do what you can for the health of the church. Because you want to impact lives, you want to be used of God, and you want to do a good job. And so with that new opportunity, that new phase, there was a desire that came with those dreams, those visions of what could be. And there was an excitement there as, those, as we thought about the dreams, what God could be doing or what could be possible. And so we were willing to do whatever necessary. But I'll tell you, the moment I encountered a difficulty or life got stressful 
or maybe I made a mistake or two and was criticized or found out that people were harboring resentment towards me for one reason or another or resentment towards my wife or the way we run ministry, I can tell you some doubt filled my heart. It made it difficult to keep going the way we were going. And when you start thinking about all the negative and that doubt creeps in, you know, I started thinking about maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe God got it wrong and maybe he should pick someone else. Maybe I should just quit before I ruin it all anyways. See, the more doubt creeps in, the more negative thoughts you begin to have. That's the devil's playground. And the more you're filled with doubt, the less desire you have to try because you think that it's all hopeless anyways. See, the more doubt creeps in, the more desire leaks out. And the more desire fades, the less determination you have to make the sacrifice or even try it all. Doubt diminishes your desire to chase after the callings of God and the dreams and ministry he's placed in your life and to fall through the doors that he opens for you. It diminishes our desire. The third thing is that doubt diminishes our destiny. Destiny. Destiny is defined as the events that will necessarily happen to a particular person or thing in the future. Many people kind of really uh, uh, think kind of superstitiously about destiny, but destiny is a real thing. You have to understand that God knows all. He's all-knowing. He knows where you are going to be in 50 years. He knows what decisions you're going to make. And he's got a plan that he's prepared for your life. Did you know that? Prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, 11, as he's speaking to the nation of Israel, he reveals that God has plans for us, plans for good and not disaster. Paul, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit to the Church of Romans, said that God knew you before he even created the foundation of the world. And he had a plan. He had a purpose for your life. See, you are not here by chance. You didn't just randomly walk in here today. God has a plan for your life. He has a destiny set aside for you and a blessing to be coupled with that destiny. You're not here by chance. But when doubt fills your heart and it diminishes your deliverance and it diminishes your desire, you'll end up living a life according to your own wisdom and your own plans, according to what makes you feel comfortable and what you can handle. And some of you here today, you know that God called you a long time ago to walk a certain path. And you feel like he might be leading you to take a growth step into the next phase. But because of the doubt in your heart, you've left that path to go another way because you can feel safer on the other path. And by going our own way, by walking our own path, by not following God and Jesus by faith, what we're doing is we're forfeiting the destiny he's prepared for us. You're forfeiting the blessings he has in store for you to encounter on the journey. You know, I think of many people in the Bible. I think of Moses. Moses sacrificed everything to lead the nation of Israel out of the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. And God gave him an instruction. He said, speak to the rock, and it will pour forth water, and you'll be able to give drink to the nation of Israel. And Moses was mad at the people. So instead of speaking to the rock, he takes his staff, and he strikes the rock. Well, water still comes out. Why? Because God is good. He even blesses when we make mistakes. But what happened, because Moses didn't obey God's command, God tells Moses, you know what? 
because you did your own thing, you're not going to enter the promised land. Just hitting the rock? Well, I do worse than that when I stub my toe. But because I didn't obey you, I'm not going to get the promised land? No. God had prepared the promised land for his people. Moses chose to do his own thing, and he had to forfeit the destiny God had set aside for him. Moses died on the mountain before the children of Israel walked in, claimed the promised land. When doubt fills our heart, we go our own way. We do our own thing. We decide that we're going to follow what's comfortable instead of God through the uncomfortable. We will forfeit our destiny. As long as doubt reigns in your heart, you won't experience the life God intended for you to live. You won't fulfill the purpose he's planned for your life because you won't make the choice to trust and obey because you'll choose to doubt and go your own way. Doubt diminishes destiny. Now, the days after 9-11, after America was attacked, the country was in mourning. There were calls for prayer. Churches were flooded with people because it was, it just, it was, it was a call to repentance. It was like God was saying, look up, realize what you're doing, where you're going, realign your hearts, America, put your faith in me. And we were capturing for just a little time that message. People were mourning, people were in sorrow. We were filled with doubt. We wondered what was going to happen. We saw things starting to happen in the economy. We didn't know what was going to happen with our economy. People, there was talk of war. We didn't know what was going to happen. Will we ever recover? Will we ever get through this? We had a time that if we had given into our doubts and our fears that we may have lost our country. But our leaders made a choice. They made the choice not to cower or to give in to doubt and to fear. They made the choice to be courageous. And they began having a series of meetings where they would publicly uh, declare their resolve for our nation. They resolved to rebuild, to come back stronger, and some would even say, to make America great again. It's not an endorsement. Just saying. By making the choice to let go of doubt and to trust in the ideals that does make America great, that makes America the greatest nation on the earth. We clung to those ideals. We began reconstruction. We began the fight to end radical Islamic terror and to ensure the safety of our people and for future generations to come. And American leaders, they had a strong belief in our values, a clear mission, and overcoming the doubt to redirect the sorrow of our nation into a plan of action that would impact the whole world. And Jesus, when he is there before his people in Matthew chapter 28, and he can see that there's doubt in the hearts of these people. Some are worshiping, some are doubting. Jesus says something so profound, which I believe is powerful enough to remove the doubt in the hearts of his disciples and even in us today. Even though doubt is a common thing for each one of us, I believe Jesus' next statement is powerful enough to remove the doubt in our hearts today. And Jesus does, like our leaders in America did in that time of 9-11, he started with a strong belief. Here's what he says in Matthew 20, 18, after Jesus recognizes the doubting disciples. says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven, and on earth. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And I believe what Jesus is saying to these doubters is, do you know who it is I am? 
Do you know? I'm the one that's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Do you know what that means? Do you know who is standing before you? And I would say to you, church, the same thing today in this place. Do you know who he is? Do you know what that means? That he is the one with all authority. That means he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is the all-sufficient savior. He is the lamb of God. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the door to salvation. He is the source of our hope. He is the source of our peace. He is our refuge our rock, our defender, our advocate, our creator, our friend, our prophet, our priest, and he is the king which is above every other king and one day every nation will bow and confess that he is Lord of Lords. Do you know who he is? He is the one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Do you know who he is today? See, some of the disciples doubted because they didn't believe. And we doubt what God can do for us, in us, and through us because I believe deep down we really don't believe he is who he is. James, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 1, 6 and 7, as he's talking about prayer and asking God for things in your life, he says this. He says, when you ask him, Be sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. That's the same word in the original language for doubt. It says, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Wavering and doubt are synonymous. Have you ever felt like your prayers go more unanswered than answered? Have you ever felt like that? I pray and I pray and I pray, but it just seems like God is silent. And every once in a while, he comes through. Could be because you're wavering. You're filled with doubt. Doubt here in James chapter 1, verse 6, in the original language, is defined as to settle a dispute. So when you're doubting, what you're actually doing in your heart is you are trying to settle a dispute. You're trying to determine whether Jesus is who he is and what he said is true. That's the dispute. What are we going to believe? Jesus said in John 14, I am the truth. I am the truth. When we doubt what he's asking of us, when we doubt his commands, when we doubt his word, and what he's telling us is possible, we're trying to settle the dispute of whether or not we really believe that or not. Whether we really believe he is the truth. And what he says, we can trust. And James said, if we ask without doubt, we will get what we ask for because what we're asking for will be completely by faith. We won't be trying to dispute who Jesus is and whether or not we believe that what he said is true. You see, if we truly believe he is who he said he was, we would do a lot of things. We would obey him without question. Fear would not stand in our way and keep us from stepping out in faith to pray for healing in Jesus' name for those who are sick or when God lays a word of encouragement or a word of knowledge in your heart to encourage someone else, we wouldn't hesitate to follow through and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
If we believe he is who he said he is, and we believe that his word is true, then why does doubt and fear hold us back from so much? It's because we doubt more than we have faith. Right now in this moment, think about taking a risk. Maybe something that you've dreamt about. Think about stepping out in faith. Maybe you're facing a decision here soon that is going to take some faith. Or maybe there's something you always dreamed about doing or a career you always dreamed about having or a ministry you always dreamed about starting. Think about that for just a moment. Just pick one thing. You got it? In your mind? Now think about starting that today, right now. As you think about that, do you have thoughts of I can or I can't? I can or I can't. And you might say, well, Pastor Joey, you know, my life has been really hard. That's why, dot, dot, dot. And you know what? Your life might have been really hard. But if you're here today, I can say God has given you the strength to get through it. Well, I've always been poor. I've never had the resources and the finances other people have had that have been able to do things like that. That might be true, but God's always provided everything you needed. Well, I've experienced a failure in my marriage, so I'm disqualified. Well, yeah, but God's redeemed you and given you grace to have a second chance. Well, I'm a recovering addict. That might be true. But God delivered you from that prison. He's brought you here and surrounded you with people that love you and care about you and will encourage you and help keep you accountable to keep going. Well, I lost my job, and I had a hard time finding work, and so now I doubt my ability. That might be true, but God's provided you the income you needed. He's provided you another job. He's taking care of you. Well, my family hates me, and I don't have a support system. That might be true. But God's given you a new family in Jesus Christ. You have a family here and a support system here. Well, I failed out of school, and I don't think I'm smart enough. You might have failed out of school, but God's still given you the ability to learn and be successful. You just have to let, get the doubt out of your way and let the desire come in line with your destiny and follow God by faith, and he'll get you through. Well, I was abused, so I'm no good. Well, yeah, you might have been abused. But God brought you out of that dark place, and he's renewing you by his grace day after day after day, and he still has a plan for you that's for good and for not disaster to give you a future and a hope. Well, I was abandoned. No one wanted me. It might be true, but God's never left you or forsaken you. See, when you only focus on what disqualifies you, of course, there'll be nothing but fear and doubt in your heart. But if he is who he said he is, if his word is true, and his word says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And if I know that he won't call me to do that which he won't equip me to accomplish, if I know that his strength shines when my weakness is on display, then my thoughts should be, I can, I can, I can, I can every time. But they aren't I can, they are I can't. 
Because honestly, church, we walk through this life not filled with this truth and faith. We are filled with our failures and our doubts. And that's what Satan wants. He wants your past experiences to be what creates doubt in your life. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is leveraging those experiences to bring about faith in your life. The core concept of this message today is that everything God has put you through is meant to prepare you for the purpose he planned for you. It's not failure, it's training. Everything the disciples went through led them to that moment where Jesus would be face to face. And everything God has led you through has brought you to this moment in this place today. Your past doesn't disqualify you. It's merely equipping you to become who God made you to be. And if today you choose to rise above your past in faith rather than wallow in it in doubt, God's going to do amazing things in your life. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you believe? See, the path to overcome doubt begins with that strong belief that Jesus is who he said he was. And just like America launched from that belief of founding values and principles into a clear mission, Jesus gives his disciples a clear mission. The second thing I see here is the mission. And many call this the Great Commission, the mission of the church. You see, faith without action is useless. And Jesus started by declaring, you must begin your way forward with this belief in who I am, but let that belief drive your mission. And Jesus gives us that mission for all Christians for all time in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And here's what he says. He says, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus tells us as Christians simply, go, preach, baptize, and teach. Go means engage people where they are. Go to them. Don't make them come to you. Engage or preach. Tell them about who I am and what I've done. Baptize them. Lead them into making a decision to follow me and believing in my message. And teach them by your words and your example how to grow in faith and obey my commands. The question is, is how do you go if you don't believe? How do you preach if you don't believe? How do you baptize if you don't believe? How do you teach others if you don't believe? Well, you can't, and you won't. So with the faith in who Jesus is and the focus on the purpose of our lives, that clear mission, our doubt, will diminish in our lives. And once we have that strong belief and we begin working to accomplish that clear mission, just in case doubt ever begins to grow again in our hearts when we have a setback or a mistake or something doesn't go like we planned, Jesus says something very profound in verse 20. He says, and be sure of this. He says, don't you doubt this for a second. You be sure of this. It doesn't matter if you made a mistake it doesn't matter if it didn't go the way you planned. It doesn't matter if it's not happening as fast as you would like it to happen. Be sure of this. And here's what he says. I 
am with you. But stepping out in faith is scary. Be sure of this. I am with you. But if I change my career, I might not have my retirement. I am with you. I am with you even into the end of the age. Jesus is trying to tell us, look, this next phase is going to require some faith. Faith in who I am, faith in the mission I've given you, and faith that I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you in it and through it. He is with you no matter what life throws your way. No matter how scary the circumstances. No matter how steep the climb. No matter how great the chasm. God is with you. And he that is for you, who shall be against you? So what's the reason you have doubt? What are you debating in your heart to take that next step? What are you waiting for? Go, preach, baptize, teach. You waiting to be asked to be involved in ministry? Go, preach, baptize, teach. You waiting till you have 50 verses memorized of the Bible? Go, preach, baptize, teach. And go confidently because he is with you. Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's called you to do? And do you know that he's with you? I read this verse this week in my quiet time. I do different devotions. I, I like the Bible uh, application on uh, my phone. It's called Version. There's all sorts of Bible studies and things on there. I highly recommend it. And this week, uh, the verse of the day just kind of leapt off the page. And I see this as just a great prayer. If you wake up or maybe even today, you're filled with doubt. Psalm 143.10, the psalmist says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. What is his will? It's our mission. Go, preach, baptize, teach. What's the firm footing? It's that the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is with you and will be with you even to the end of the age. See, when we know who he is, we will desire to walk in his ways. We will depend on his spirit's power to accomplish his will in our lives. And we will change the world. Maybe you're here today and you're doubting. You're doubting about something. Maybe it's your relationship with God. Maybe you've never begun a relationship with God. Maybe you're doubting next steps in your life or how you can get involved here or what God wants you to do out there. My challenge for you today is stop debating in your heart. Trust Jesus and take a step. Let's bow our heads in this place. Father in heaven, we submit ourselves to you because we recognize, Jesus, you are the one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. God, forgive us of our doubt. Forgive us of the arrogance of thinking we would need to doubt you. And I pray, Jesus, that you would let faith rise in this place today. Let hope rise in this place today. God, I pray that the past circumstances, the past situations that have been causing so much fear, God, that your grace would just wash over that right now in Jesus' name. 
And for the people that are here today, God, that have been living in so much doubt, they've been living in fear, they've been living under this dark cloud of not feeling good enough or capable. God, I pray that truth would sink into their hearts today, that you are with them. You're going before them, and you will never leave them or forsake them. That in Jesus, all sins are forgiven. That in Jesus, all things are made new. In Jesus, they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That in Jesus, that there is a great plan prepared for them. There is a great purpose for their life. And that you are ready to lead them in that journey if they would just start taking a step. God, I pray that we would walk in our freedom and not allow our deliverance to be diminished. God, I pray that we would have a passionate desire to continue to follow and chase after you and your will for our lives. God, and that desire would not diminish because of doubt. And God, I pray that you would lead us into the destiny that you've prepared for us. That we would get to experience the life and the blessings and, and the good things that you've planned on the journey through the life that you've paved for us, God, that we wouldn't turn away and do our own thing, that we wouldn't look our own way or think we're wise enough or smart enough, God, that when faced with these faith steps, God, that we would wholeheartedly jump in because being with you is far greater and better than going our own way. God, I pray that this city would be transformed by the faith of the people in this place. God, I pray that you begin to fill this place with people who've been touched and changed through the power of Jesus Christ because of the faith that leaves this place. And God, I just thank you for everything you are and do continually for us in Jesus' name. Amen.